Hello, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm trying this new speaker on my iPhone. I want to make sure you can hear me. Really good mic. Oh, you're coming in loud and clear, man. Perfect, perfect. How are you doing, Steve? I'm, I'm well, thank you. St Stavros Mastro Giannis. Yes, and by the way, uh, my name in English, if you to translate it, would be Steve. And your name in Greek is Stavros, just so you know. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So we must be brothers for another mother. Yeah. <laughs> but because, no, it's Stephanos in Greek, different name. Oh, that's but, true. Yeah, Stefan. That's true. I, yeah. But I see you spell your name with a V, so. <laughs> um. Yes, that's, uh, I think I'm, I'm, um, I'm named after uh, Sam the Kosher Butcher, my great-grandfather, uh, that's who I'm named after in Hebrew, Yeshaya Maya. That's my Hebrew name. Oh, okay. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. You know, my name in Greek means uh, cross. Cross? Cross, like the cross, like, you know, really? the religious symbol. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's what the name, um, actually, it, in Greek, uh, the name for cross is Stavros, and you put the accent at the end, and Stavros is the name. So there's some uh, religious significance yeah. to that. Yeah, they uh, we because in, in the Greek Orthodox religion, we practice, um, we celebrate uh, name days. So the day of the cross, September 14th, is considered my name day, which is in Greece like name days are bigger than birthdays. I forgot. Yeah, someone else I knew a, a Greek couple. They told me the same thing. You're right. Yeah. And you are, um, you are the founder of uh, the Live. Your Way Thin System. Correct. And that's a website also. Yep. LiveYourWayThin.com is the website. Live Your Way Thin System is the my approach uh, to uh, sustainable weight loss. What, what got you into that? Uh, were you heavy as a child? No. Actually, it's funny that you asked. The, um, I got into it almost by accident because I also have a degree in culinary arts. But I was trying to get in shape, just look good on the beach. You know, got nice, nice abs, nice, you know, chest. And the advice I was getting from fitness professionals, I couldn't stick with. Like, I would do it for a month or two, and I will pull off the wagon. And talking to a lot of fitness professionals, I realized that they don't understand people who want to be in shape, but hate the process of getting in shape. And the advice they were giving me were advice that I could not stick with. I could not live with that advice. And I realized, wow, because there is a need for somebody to get into the fitness industry who's not a fitness nut. And I mean that in a nice way. Uh, because I think the fitness industry is full of people who love fitness. And that's the problem. If you love fitness so much, you don't really understand people who don't love fitness. They just want to be in shape. And as far as like what you said about, you know, if I've ever been happy, I always tell people that the fact is, that nobody really has a weight problem. What we have is behavior problem. Weight gain is only the symptom. So I had a lot of behaviors that I needed to change. So as far as uh, changing behaviors, I can fully understand people. Because I changed, I mean, I changed behaviors that people thought it was impossible, like my temperament. I used to have a really bad temper. And I changed it actually almost overnight. People would the change of how fast I was able to change my almost my personality. How did you do that? Oh, 
I gotta give credit to Dale Carnegie for that one. You know who that? that you know he wrote the book uh, "How to Win Friends and Influence People," and the other book I think is "How to Stop Worrying and Start Living." Yeah, those books came out around 1933. Exactly, those books changed my life because wow. those books I had a really bad. And I mean, I used to go off over every, every, anything, but the, all the people that knew me always said, oh, you have your father's temperament. Nobody said to me and said to me, hey, you got to change because a lot of people expect that, you know, certain personality traits, you're not going to be able to change. So I realized because I did a lot of reading of those books, like, you know, self-help book. I mean, I did a lot of reading on uh, Tony Robbins and I realized I got to change, but how do I change? And you can hold anger in either. So what I did instead, I mean, I started doing a lot of reading and I came across the book and his advice was that people who get angry easily are people who cannot think uh, they're very self-centered. I can only see my point of view. I cannot see anybody else's point of view except my own. So when you're having a discussion with somebody, you can see your point of view and you cannot put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Well, guess what? You're not going to understand them. And it's funny thing how things happen in life. And I happen be driving um i had a camaro back then i should drive really aggressively let's call it and i was going through this neighborhood and i come up to a light and another guy pulls behind me and he comes out and he's a he's a parent one of the kids in the neighborhood and he started yelling at me like what the heck is wrong with you driving like a nut there's kids playing around now at that time i was like in my uh very early 20s i think 21 22 now i had just read the book and the book said he goes, when, he goes, try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. When you argue with somebody, try to think the way that person thinks. So at that moment, I was, well, if I had kids and somebody like me drove through like I did, how would I feel? And it was like an aha moment. Like, oh, my God, I would feel exactly like this guy who's yelling at me right now. So I rolled down my window. I said, sir, I apologize. That was very thoughtless of me. Now, the guy, he didn't expect the kid to, ex to react that way. She goes, oh, I meant to yell. Can you please slow down? And I'm like, holy cow, this stuff works. And all of a sudden, when I would, you know, find myself started getting angry, I would put myself in the other person's shoes. Or sometimes I would even make excuses for the other person. So this way, I did not get angry. And I realized that, wow, the power of controlling the way I thought. Because everything comes down to the way you think. And if you can change the way you think, you can change pretty much everything in your life including cravings, including the way you eat, it's everything. And that was when I started changing personality and the way I ended up in the fitness industry, as I was telling you before, it was pure by accident. And when I got into the industry, and I mean, I got my certifications and I learned, you know, everything that typical fitness professional learns. Uh, again, I couldn't apply them into my life though. And that's what caused me to start questioning what I had learned in school. The one positive thing that I had was I was raised in Greece. And when I lived there, thin was the norm. Out of 350 kids in my school, literally four kids were overweight. The rest of them were normal weight. Cancer as a kid, I thought it was a rare disease. And diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's didn't exist. And I started realizing that the way I was raised in Greece completely contradicted what I was learning in school. For example... Here you hear all the time breakfast, the most important meal of the day. Well, come to find out, in Greece, adults didn't eat breakfast. 
Like breakfast was not a meal at all. And the weekend, sometimes we had something. But during the week, nobody ate breakfast. And then I started looking at other healthy regions. I realized that they don't eat breakfast either. Like breakfast is a very unimportant meal. And yet in school here, I learned, oh, you got to eat breakfast to have energy. And that's how I slowly start realizing that what I learned in school is not necessarily correct. And the next question I asked is like, well, if what I learned in school and all the popular ideas on weight loss and health were correct, how do you explain the fact that uh, our weight, it keeps going up? I mean, I got into the industry back in 1992. In 1992, the obesity rate in the U.S. was 12.6%. Today, it's over, I think, what was it, uh, 40, I think 42%, if I'm not mistaken. It's over 40% now. During the same period, uh, in 1992, we spent $30 billion that year on weight loss products and services. During the uh, and today we're spending over sixty-five billion dollars on weight loss products and services. What does it tell you? It tells me whatever we do, working. So we need to start thinking outside the box, and that's how I slowly, you know, looking at my upbringing, looking at all the healthy regions. What do they have in common? And that's when I start putting together what healthy behaviors make the biggest difference. And what I discovered, like most of the healthy behaviors that I teach today, I ain't learned them in school. Matter of fact. Most diets don't teach. And those behaviors make the biggest difference in health. So, um, anyway. No, you're and, right. It's, uh, um, you know, it's funny because back in the day, um, you didn't see any overweight Asians, and now they're all catching up to us. Exactly, exactly. It's like, unfortunately, uh, marketers have gotten to everybody. Because if you go back to my home city today, Everybody's overweight. It's no different than here anymore. Why? Because they no longer eat the way that I was raised. And I'll give you an, an example of how we used to eat. Nobody ate breakfast. On average, we ate no more than two times a day, sometimes only once. One meal was big and the other one was small. So usually we had a big lunch, a small uh, dinner. However, though, in the villages, they had a big uh, dinner and a small lunch. And here's why. In the cities, we got a three-hour three hour lunch break. What is the best thing that you can do after eating for digestion? Rest. That, that's nothing controversial, by the way. If you look, I don't know, do you have any dogs or cats? Yeah, I got cats. Okay. What do they do after eating? They, they go to sleep. Exactly. Why would humans be different? So in Greece, we used to have this big lunch, uh, and then you used to go home. And we had a three-hour lunch break. I don't know. Do you get three-hour lunch break at work? No. I know. Nobody does. Very few people do. Yeah, it's called so, a siesta. Exactly. See? In South America, they got it right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what yeah. we used to do. We used to take a nap. Now, in the villages, the reason they had a light lunch is because they worked in the field. So they didn't have a three-hour lunch break. So they used to used to get home uh, like uh, 6, 7 o'clock at night, and then used to eat. And it's funny that in uh, in the fall, we used to go to the village and collect a couple of weeks, and we reversed it. We ate light lunch and big dinner because during those two weeks, we didn't have a, a lunch break. We only had like a 30 minutes to eat back to work. So instinctively, we knew not to eat heavy during the day because it, it, uh, it affects digestion because you have to eating a big meal. You know, terrible. Oh, it's horrible. Exactly. So yeah. this 
I, so I don't know. Well, I do know actually uh, how the idea of breakfast came about. I don't know. Do you know the story of how breakfast became popular in the United uh, States? Commercials. Yep. And matter of fact, actually, one person, Edward Edward Bernays. I don't know if you ever heard the name. He was, I think, the casino like the, the the father of PR. He is the nephew of Sigmund Freud, the famous Austrian. I think he was a psychologist, psychiatrist. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, Beech Nut uh, Packaging Company hired him in nine, I think it was nineteen twenties, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to increase the sales of bacon because they sold pork bellies so with the idea to get the doctor to work for his firm to say that uh, a high protein breakfast like bacon and eggs is really good for people and then that doctor uh wrote to five thousand of his colleagues to agree with the statement now doctors no offense but they don't have any nutritional training they don't know nutrition that's not what they went to school for so to me, a doctor making a nutritional statement, it carries no weight. So uh, Edward Bernays, he ran a PR in all the major uh, outlets at that time, newspapers, that 5,000 doctors agreed that a high-protein breakfast like bacon and eggs is really good for your health. And there was no scientific evidence to back that up. And that's how bacon, I mean, uh, well, bacon became popular and bacon, but also breakfast became popular. But if you really analyze how the body works, it's like when you eat something, you know, significant, the body uh, constricts all the blood vessels around your body to force blood to your digestive organs to aid digestion. But if you eat this big breakfast and then you go to work, you have no time to rest. The body needs blood for the muscles to function, for your brain to function. So what happens is digestion gets compromised where if you simply skip breakfast, you can have more energy than to know what to do with it. Of course, at the beginning, if you're used to eating breakfast, yes, it's going to take a little getting used to it. I'm not, you know, there's no denying that. But once you get used to it, I'm telling you, like I stopped eating breakfast, oh, it's been like around 15 years ago. And now actually, but basically most of the time I eat only at night and I have energy to spare, you know? It's the, the difference is huge. Well, I find some fruits in the morning actually going to help an apple or an orange. No, that's I mean, to me, if you have to eat in the morning, I would say, yes, eat very light. Like fruit, Bobby, is, is your best choice. Uh, we not have anything against it. But the one like what I teach my clients, like, you know, the five, like, there's five basically uh, healthy behaviors that if you look at all healthy regions around the world have in common, one of them is the six, I call it six an hour habit or it's similar to intermittent fasting that's called now, but I was teaching that before intermittent fasting it, it was even popular. Uh, and the reason I was teaching is because I realized in Greece and other healthy regions, we went for 16, 17 hours regularly without eating anything. And then I came up with the guy, the, the doctor's name, ah, sure I've looked it up. Uh, he won the Nobel Prize in, uh, in 2016 he discovered the uh, the process. Well, actually, the process of autophagy. Have you heard the term autophagy before? No, but I heard of that doctor. I forgot his name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, the Japanese doctor. Anyway, so he discovered how autophagy worked, and he won the Nobel Prize back in 2016. 
And the benefits are tremendous. Just to give you like a, a, a small idea of, of how beneficial it is to go into autophagy, which you can go to by uh, not eating for 16 hours or longer. The body starts recycling uh, all protein. So basically what it recycles is misfolded proteins, which is the precursor to basically all uh, mental diseases like Alzheimer's. It recycles mutated uh, and dysfunctional cells, which are the precursors to cancer. And by fasting regularly, you don't allow those things to accumulate, which causes all this problems. Maybe that is why in Greece, cancer was a rare disease and we didn't have any of the mental diseases. Is because we fasted regularly. We went for six hours or longer on a basis without eating anything. Today, actually, uh, the island of Ikari, I don't know if you're familiar with that island. It's one of the blue zones. Have you heard the term blue zone? No. You know, blue zones are areas on earth that people live very long lives and healthy. So Ikaria is one of those blue zones. It's an island um, in Greece. They eat today the same way I was raised. But because they're so cut off from the rest of Greece, the uh, markers haven't gone through them yet. So they're still able to maintain the traditions. The island, if I'm, uh, if I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, is like I think one third of the population is the age of 90. The number of people who have some form of mental disease is zero. Doesn't exist. Where in the United States, around 40% of the population over the age of 70 have some men some uh, mental disease like Alzheimer's and dementia. Isn't that interesting? It is. And, and yet, though, how many mainstream nutritionists do you know that teach people to fast regularly, you know, to, to skip, basically? Uh, you know, mainstream, very few. I know a lot of people that do, but they're not mainstream, like, you no know, registered dietitians. That's usually something they don't do. And I wonder why, actually. Um, so that's one of the habits. The next one is learn to eat out of true hunger. What was the last time you ate something and you asked yourself, am I truly hungry or I'm just having a craving? Right? It's we, a craving. It felt good, man. Yeah, exactly. It's all we eat because it's breakfast <laughs> time, because it's lunch time, because it's dinner time. Never once people stop and say, hey, am I hungry? And that's the next habit I teach you was like how, number one, identify what is true hunger compared to a craving. And really quick, uh, the uh, one easy way to tell if you're truly hungry is ask yourself this question. Would I be able to indulge on a piece of stale bread? That's it. If the answer well, is you, no, what? If you're hungry, you will. Exactly. But if you say to yourself, no, no, not really. I want something else. Then you're not hungry. I know with my kids, you know, they come home. Uh, Dad, hungry. Okay, this is what we're eating. Oh, no, no, I don't want that. Oh, well, then you're not hungry. Uh, do you have any kids, Steve? Uh, yes, I do, yes. You know, it's kind of it's funny. It's like, when you're hungry, oh, no, no, damn, I'm hungry, but I don't want this. Well, you're not hungry then. Because true hunger, you cannot eat anything within reason. Yeah. So, that, you know, so that's the next step. Like, learn to listen to your body. And you'll find naturally, once you really start listening, you're going to end up eating once naturally. Like I said, I, that's how I end up eating once because by the way, Monday to Friday on the weekends, I have breakfast with my kids. I, I eat out of pure, uh, pure pleasure of it. I, I'm not a perfectionist either because I do believe you got to live a little too. Yeah. But, you know, so my rules is Monday to Friday, I eat perfect. Weekends, I relax. 
I want to have, you know, and actually I'm going to get to the next habit, which I think you, the order, uh, you're going to find it very interesting. But anyway, so the idea is to learn to identify true hunger and start eating because of it. The next one is learn to eat slowly and mindfully. Every, you know, how many people eat like we eat so fast, we don't really get to enjoy our food, you know? And especially if you only have 10 minutes to eat after a lunch break. Got to get all the food. Yeah, there's a term called breathing your food, yeah. Yes, yeah. And what I teach is like, slow down, enjoy it. Chew your food. And every study ever done that I've read on slow and mindful eating, people end up eating less food without even trying. And the reason, by the way, that happens, think about it. When do you get pleasure from food? When the food is in your mouth, right? The longer you can keep each bite of food in your mouth, the more pleasure you get. The more attention you pay to the food in your mouth, the more pleasure you get. Because how many times, I don't know if it ever happened to you, I know it used to happen to me a lot before I changed the way I was eating, is I'll be eating something, I'll look down, the plate is empty, it's like, when the heck did I eat this? <laughs> and you feel deprived, so you get up and you get some more food. But yeah. you slow it down, you know, and the things you can do, you can start putting your fork down between every bite. Chew your food, enjoy it. I mean, when I go to restaurants, I mean, plus green culinary yards, so I always like to judge food. I always try to taste it. Oh, what kind of spices did the chef use? You know, and this way it puts me in the moment I really taste what I'm eating. Because uh, I hear a lot of people say when they find out that on average I only eat once a day during uh, during uh, the week. I love food way too much to be eating only once a day. And I'm here to tell you, I get more enjoyment out of that one meal than most people get out of five. Because when I'm eating, I'm eating. And I actually haven't eaten today yet. I'm actually going to be eating uh, after this. And I have energy to spare. And I, last time was last night at 8 o'clock. And, sorry, what? Yeah, I, I, I mean, for I'll go, I imagine you're in your 50s. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm turning 50 uh, next year. Uh, you look very, most guys your age are not in the shape that you are. They're, they're fat. Yeah, unfortunately. And, and, they, and they don't have to. And that actually, making a good point I want to bring up since you brought that up about aging. You know, like a lot of people have accepted this, uh, they call it fact that as we age, that we're going to gain weight. Like, you know, after menopause for women that, you know, you're going to gain weight. The only reason people gain weight as we age is because we don't listen to our bodies. When I lived in Greece, old people, you know, most, most of, not everybody, of course, how come? Because they list, they, they, we got used to eating by paying attention to our hunger. So like, I remember my grandmother, she ate like a bird. She had a very slow metabolic rate. So she ate based on hunger. So if you eat based on hunger, you'll find over time, you're not going to need as much food. If you're eating by eyesight or by portions or by calories, do you adjust your calories every year? You know anybody that does it? Every Recalculate because I'm a year older. Of course not. And then even if you're overeating, like, you know, 10 calories or 20 calories, well, and eat each meal, you're going to gain weight. And that is why people gain weight. But if you learn to pay attention to your hunger, you'll find naturally you're going to be eating less food. I know myself, for the been doing this for the past, uh, since I perfected my system in the past uh, 10, what, 10, 15 years. I eat a lot less food today than I did 10 years ago. But I feel no, I 
same energy. I look the same. Actually, my weight has pretty much stayed the same for the past 15 years. hasn't changed a bit. And I'm having my strength keeps going up because I, I, I lift, but I'm not killing myself because I'm probably one of the few trainers that hates exercising. <laughs> 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 so, well, so you know what was the solution? To make exercising as such a habit. I don't have to think about it. Yeah, exactly. Or, or incorporate, make, make, make a walk to the store instead of driving to the store. Yes. All this, exactly. It's all those little things that you can do. And then once you develop the habit of eating slowly and mindfully, oh, and then stop eating that's for your hunger. The next habit is, my favorite one, by the way, make junk food special. Because to me, you know, I know like a lot of, a lot of nutritionists, the first thing they tell you, oh, you got to eliminate junk food. Forget it. Junk food takes way too good to give up. And if it was that easy to give up, all the junk food companies would be by now. And they're doing just fine. So to me, when, and what I mean by make it special is, is to uh, – junk food was really meant to be used as a treat, if you really think about it. Like who came up with the idea to have dessert after every, every dinner? You know? Who, to, uh, like when I was living in Greece, we had desserts and stuff on the weekends only. And special occasions like you know, you know, Christmas, New Year's, holidays, name days, our birthdays, but it wasn't an everyday event. And I think we can take junk food back to the way that we're supposed to be, you know, a treat that won't affect your health that bad at all, actually. And I, I did something actually. Are you familiar with the experiment, the uh, Super Me, the documentary? Yeah, yeah. Though the guy he got had to have a triple bypass or something after eating yeah, all that food. Yeah, he gained twenty six pounds. He got very sick, and he had to stop after eating McDonald's for one month straight. Yeah. Okay. Well, in two thousand and eleven, I did the same experiment with some modifications. First, I went to McDonald's for two months straight. I had burgers, French fries, same food as Mr. Spurlock, but I followed my first three how to eat habits. In other words, I took a sixteen hour break, so in other words, I didn't eat breakfast. I ate uh, no more than twice and only when truly hungry. And I ate every meal slowly and mindfully and stopped eating when I had my hunger. I went to the doctor and I had my blood work done before the experiment started. I had my blood work, you no know, cholesterol, triglycerides, blood pressure, weight. And after of eating, not the greatest food, nothing happened. Actually, my cholesterol went down 10 points, which was a surprise. My weight pretty much stayed the same, which actually went pounds, but I consider that the same because three pounds is not a significant amount. The point I was trying to prove is not that McDonald's burgers and fries are great. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if you learn to listen to your body, your body can better tolerate food that's not as good for you. And that's how I get away with eating pretty much pasta, potatoes, or rice pretty much every night. Bread, because Greeks, we like bread. It's because even when I lived in Greece, we used to have bread, pasta, and potato every single day. How come high-carb diet did not affect us? It's because we ate less often. So if you want to eat whatever you want, all you have to do is simply eat less often, and you have to be as strict with your diet. So basically, it comes down to, to a cho to choice. If you want to be strict with your diet, okay, fine. You can eat more often, but you have to be very strict with what you're eating. If you want to eat whatever you want, then simply eat less. And you can do that. And I chose to eat whatever I want, but eat less often. And, they, and they actually, the benefits to, to your health are tremendous, too.
know, besides, you know, enjoying what you like. That's the other side of the argument. Like, I don't, I don't know if you ever watch uh, Joe Rogan. I, I've watched him from time to time, but uh, I'm not tell me about what his uh, argument is. He was just saying, eat all you want and work out like an animal and burn off like 2,000 calories a day, voraciously working out. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, here's the counter argument to that. Does it work? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, I have no doubt about it. You can eat what. And the perfect example is the. Have you, have you, do you ever watch that show, The Biggest Loser? I heard about it. I might have watched it once or twice. Yeah, it's the one that really very overweight people. Uh, they go on the show for, I think, four or five months. Uh, they exercise like crazy. Uh, they, they lose tons of weight. And then they gain it all back. And what they discovered is that the resting metabolic rate was significantly slower, uh, even if they adjusted the new body weight. So what the, what the doctor was saying, oh, you see, that's their body. Uh, the set point theory. They, 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 the body's fighting. I mean, it wants to go back to the original weight. Well, I guess those doctors were not familiar with this study that was done, I, I believe, in Tanzania, where they, in Tanzania, Africa, there are a few, uh, it's a la one of the last uh, hunter-gatherer groups left on Earth. They put this uh, GPS on them, and they followed them around, I think, for a couple of months. And what they discovered is these people are extremely active, like we did not know it, right? They're very, very active. And according to the activity log, these people should be burning around twice as many calories as the average person in the West that sits in the office. Well, when they actually measured the number of calories they actually burn, they found out they burn around the same number of calories. So the question is, how can it be? I mean, these people are clearly more active, and yet they burn approximately the same calories. And, and I'm going to get to the point, by the way, on uh, Joe Rogan, we have the time. Uh, and so what it discovered is the body burns calories in three ways. One is the resting metabolic rate. That's for your heart and lungs to just function and breathe and your heart to breathe. That's uh, it's 60 to 70 percent of all the calories that you burn is because of that. Second one is the thermic effect of food, which is digestion. That's another 10 percent. And the last one is 20 to 30 percent is activity level. Well, what that dis what they discovered is as activity level goes up it reaches the point that the body cannot produce more energy. Remember, the body can only produce so much energy. So what does it do? It slows down all the other functions. It slows down your resting metabolic rate, which, by the way, technically is a good thing. Now, here's the problem. Once you stop exercising as much as you did, well, your metabolic rate now is more efficient. It's a good thing, technically, but which means you burn a lot less calories. So you have to adjust your eating to levels below what's considered normal. And people have a very hard time with that. So the thing with exercising, I always tell people, whatever you choose to do to lose the weight and get in shape, make sure you can live with that. Because if you cannot live with that, the, the results will be temporary. So my question to people is, can you exercise like a fiend and really push yourself constantly? Can you do that? For most people, no. And that's why most people who approach it that way then end regaining the way back is because they cannot keep up with the changes that they made. Yeah, well, make, you, a lot of, yeah, a lot of us live a sedentary lifestyle. Yes. And to me, my, and by the way, and the last point is that all these habits that I talked about, 
they will not make a bit of difference unless you can live with them. And that's where uh, I think a lot of diets fail because a, uh, a weight loss, pro- like the solution to sustainable weight loss has two parts. Part one is knowing what to do. What, what behaviors do I need to incorporate into my life? Wait. The second part is how to incorporate these changes into my life without burning myself out. And that, I think, that part a lot of uh, fitness professionals have missed because they have this belief that, oh, once people see results, they'll be motivated to keep going. Unfortunately, that's not correct because the best results will not keep anyone motivated if the results were achieved through a method that is overwhelming. And if you look at the methods that the current methods of weight loss, most of them are overwhelming for the average person, especially the average person being so stressed out with work, with everything going on, with life in general. So what uh, my Live Your Way thing is all about is about, by the way, that's why I picked the name. You have to live your way to a, a thin and healthy body. You can't take a break from your life, go to some resort, lose the weight, and go back to your life because you have to learn to deal with everyday stuff, everyday stresses like uh, junk food, for instance. Uh, I keep all junk food in my house. All my favorite junk food is in my house at all times. I taught myself not to crave them during the week. That's the true solution. This way, if I go to the office and once in a while, my clients bring me some, because I, I like chocolate. So once in a while, if they see some new chocolate, they'll bring it in. And I say, oh, thank you. I'll take it. And I said, I have to wait. I'm going to have it on Friday after 5 p.m. And it, it, although it's something I really want to try, it doesn't even phase me to try because I, I taught, it's such a habit not to eat junk food during the week. It's not an issue. To me, that's a true solution where you can do the right thing without having to debate yourself to do the right thing. I see. Yeah, uh, it's funny, but, um, you know, talking about um, being hungry, I, 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 I've delivered DoorDash on and off, and I find I, I can't deliver when I'm hungry because I end yeah. up wanting to cancel the orders and eating the customer's food. <laughs> Sorry, the, the order never arrived. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that smell. And, and you weren't even hungry before. I don't know what the smell yeah. triggers makes you want to eat that food. It, as a matter of fact, actually, one way to tell if it's true hunger or not is that if you were not hungry, you smell the food, and all of a sudden you're hungry, I can tell you, you were not hungry. That, that's no. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like, ever happened to you at work where uh, you're busy, and all of a sudden you look at the clock, and it's, it's like one o'clock. Oh, my God, it's one o'clock. I have to have lunch. Well, uh, to be honest with you, you were not hungry, because true hunger will interrupt anything that you're doing to remind you you need to eat. The fact that you look at the clock, and then you remember Tells me it's a tr- it's a uh, it's a habitual hunger, and unfortunately, most of us eat out of habit instead of true hunger. Remember, most people who are hungry in the morning, it's a habitual hunger. It's not true hunger, and to me, it's that's something I, that I teach my clients. That I'm, I'm a big that's my one of my biggest lessons. Trying to teach people is to identify true hunger compared to a craving or a habitual hunger. And once you do that, you're home free. Then you have to worry about counting calories, points. You can live your life and go to any uh, buffet and now overeat. That's to me the ultimate test, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, also, I don't think we drink enough water either. Yeah, no, definitely. And by the way, that's a good point you're bringing up. That a lot of times, hunger that we 
It's actually thirst. That's why I always tell people, if you're feeling, you think you're hungry, you have some water. You know, and water, not other stuff. Yeah. Water, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and you're right about being awake, too. I mean, I know when I have to be up all night driving, I don't eat, eat anything because I know I won't be able to drive through the night. Yeah, exactly, right? Because you, you feel lethargic, you want to take a nap. And yeah. Me, you know, and that, that's a big problem. Unfortunately, too many spe- well, special interests, marketers. I mean, there's so many reasons, unfortunately, that it's affecting the information that's getting out there. But uh, the one time they had me on the radio and they brought in what I call a regular nutritionist and to, to debate me. And uh, the one question that always throws them off is, show me one healthy region. They eat the way that the traditional nutritionists are teaching us here, like the breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, the calories, oh, sometimes like low carbs. Show me one healthy region. There isn't one. No. When I lived in Greece, we didn't even know what calorie was. But the way I teach, basically the five habits I teach, all healthy regions around the world have in common. And they live, by the way, like stress, stress, because the, the, the other issue with losing weight under stress, like, you know, by forcing yourself to do the right thing, by forcing yourself to count calories or whatever, you actually know that could ruin your health, although you're losing weight. You can have a... Um, a uh, negative effect on your health because you're stressing yourself out to do the right thing. But then the right thing becomes the wrong thing. Then the idea is to try to change yourself slowly, but, and you can changing the way you think. You know, I'll give you one quick example if we have time. Sure. Craving. You know, you know, holidays are around now. We all have cravings and that's what something it worked for me and it worked for all my clients. Cravings. What are cravings? Basically a craving. Let's say it's Wednesday. And you're craving for a nice piece of chocolate. Uh, when you're craving something, basically you're asking yourself this question. What excuse can I come up with so I can eat it? And people come up with great excuses. Like uh, tomorrow I'm going to run an extra mile. Tomorrow I'm going to eat extra good. Tonight I'm going to go run in the tournament for five hours. Whatever. The problem is once you ask that question, you lost the battle already. Because the mind cannot reject the question. It takes it in. It's uh, like a search engine. You put in a question, it comes up with an answer. The search engine doesn't come back and tell you, oh, you're asking the wrong question. It just gives you an answer to your question. Well, the mind is the same way. So when you ask the question, what excuse can come up so I can eat, you will come up with an excuse. So what is the solution? The solution is to simply change the question. So the question I ask myself is, well, it's Wednesday. I don't eat junk food during the week. What else can I do instead? Now, it doesn't mean just because I asked the question, I'm going to come up with an way and resist. But I planted a seed. Has it ever happened to you where you're talking about some actor and you couldn't remember his name or her name? And a week later, the name pops into your head. Has it ever happened to you? All the time. Yeah, exactly. It happened to me too. It's, well, at that time, the information is useless. But what happened was you asked yourself, your subconscious mind, actually, that question. Oh, what's the, na- the name of the person? Your subconscious mind took in the question and kept working on it behind the scenes when, not, when you were not aware of it. And eventually, when you come up with the answer, you popped it out. Well, this works the same way. You keep asking the question, what else can I do instead? What can I do instead? After a week or two, by keep asking the question, all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself giving answers that prevent you from eating. Like, 
I had my client say, oh, you know something? Every time I felt craving, I took a five-minute walk. Another one said, I drank some water. The other one, you know something? I always felt guilty playing on my iPhone. So what I would do if I feel craving, I would play uh, a game on my iPhone five minutes. So the, the idea is to plant the seed by asking the right question. And over time, you'll see that the you can stop having the cravings completely because now your subconscious mind has changed the way it works. And that, that has worked really well, actually. That's, I would say, one of the best ways to get rid of um, uh, cravings is ask the right questions. Have you ever been uh, manic before, Stavros? Manic, what do you mean? Ma manic, mania. Oh, no, I, I, no. Well, when you, when you have mania, sometimes you forget to eat. You, you're just, your mind is, an, it's the opposite of lethargy. You're in overdrive and you have so much energy. You can't sleep. You have insomnia. And so, somehow you just forget to eat. You can go, you know, for a day yeah. or two without even eating. You're not even hungry. Yeah, no, no. I never have experienced that. But uh, I've, I've gone for two, uh, uh, was it 36 hours without eating anything and because I wasn't hungry. But, you know, my energy is always like, steady and it's like you know, i don't know how to describe it, but it's like i never run low on energy during the day never like i i, I go all day long at workouts and never run low and you seem like a, and, you, and you uh you work in a gym all day you run a gym a gym yes i own my own personal training gym I also do stuff online but i have my it's a private gym everything is one-on-one -on -one in private rooms um and you know and I, i'm like oh on my feet doing things and when I tell people like I only eat at night they have a hard time believing it but you know how many of my clients on their own because uh, I do eat you know no more than twice Monday to Friday a lot of my clients on their own they cut down to eating only once without even me saying it because they said I'm not hungry for lunch anymore. what am I eating lunch if you're not now if you are hungry by all means eat nothing against it but breakfast I would tell people even if you feel hungry unless of course you die that's a different story that's a different you know that's a different case you have to yeah. approach it very differently obviously uh but if you don't have diabetes i would really uh work on eliminating breakfast and the best way to do it is not cold turkey but to start eating less and i would say start eating fruits only in the morning and then see if slowly you can start pushing and eating your breakfast a little later because even if you go to work you can always take a banana with your an orange or an apple you know and eat it at work Two hours later and then see if you can slowly push breakfast far enough so it becomes your lunch and that's by the way that's how i did it and because i used to eat four and five times a day and as a matter of fact actually because a lot of people said to me oh you never had a weight problem but you realize for me to change my eating habits was really hard because i did not have a weight problem in other words i changed my eating habits because i knew sooner or later this can catch up with me so i better change now so and the reason because I looked in the mirror, oh, I look fine. I don't need to do anything. Where I didn't have the external motivation that a lot of times people who have a weight uh, uh, problem have the external motivation. For me, all my motivation was internal, knowing where I was headed if I don't change. So I went from eating four and five times a day to eating once, uh, most of the time is once. But on the weekends, like I said, I eat what I consider normal. Like on Sundays, if my daughter, she loves cooking, so she makes breakfast, I eat breakfast and I enjoy it. There's nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you're, you're unusual because most people are not proactive like you. 
Yeah, no, and that's what I'm trying to, you know, teach people is like how to change the mindset. And that because a lot of people say to me, you know, that's not normal. But I said, well, you know, having a heart attack at uh, at 60 is normal. Is that what you want? To me, I don't want normal. And besides, for me, normal is the way I eat because if you look at all healthy regions around the world, this is the normal. Remember, the way we eat uh, as a nation here, that's not normal. So normal, you know, it's a matter of our perspective. But to me, if this normal is not getting to where you want to be, maybe you want to change this normal. And that's what I'm trying to change. The system is change and create a new normal way of eating. The way it's based on the way actually uh, how humans used to live. Because if you look in this country in the 50s and 60s, we used to eat the same way here too. And if you even go earlier, we, we ate no different than we did in Greece. Yeah, we were smaller. We were smaller people 100 years ago. Yes. Well, we definitely were smaller, but we didn't eat as often. Uh, I was looking at a study, and they were looking at how often people used to eat. And that's something a lot of people don't, don't realize. We, back, I can't remember uh, what year, it was like 40 years ago, 30 years ago, people used to put food in their mouth. I think it was like an average, like every five or six hours. Today is like every two hours. Like when I say food in our mouth, in other words, even snacks. Like, you know, sometimes you sit there and you're eating a, a nut or two. That still counts. Yeah. But we're constantly chewing at something. And that's what we need to do. Stop. Stop. Sometimes the body needs a break from food. Actually, the, here's a perfect analogy. You know, like exercising. What would happen to your body if you're exercising from to night, nonstop, you never take a break? Right? The body's going to break down. Because exercising only provides the stimulus the body needs to grow. But unless you're ready to let your, do your body and your muscles to grow, you're not going to get any growth. Well, same thing with food. Food provides good nutrition. I agree. But the body also needs a break from food. It needs time. Like if you look at uh, all healthy regions, again, uh, low in Greece, we did some form of fasting, like long fasting, uh, four times. And it was kind of funny that how it was placed every quarter of the year we did fast. And that's part of the Greek Orthodox uh, Church. And we'll come to find out it's one of the best things you can do for your health. It's not a coincidence that every single healthy region has some form of fasting because the body needs longer breaks from food and it needs fuller breaks from food, like the 16 hours like we talked about. And that's the stuff I think that's missing from a lot of diets and, and nutritional programs, which I'm trying to bring back. I've read up people who fast, and I think if you stick it out for three days, there's a moment of clarity where the pain goes away and your your thoughts are more clear. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, when you go for prolonged periods of that food, even 16 hours, literally your IQ goes up. You actually can think more clearly. And that's one, one, of, the, by the, way, one of the biggest difference for me is that clarity, because I do a lot of writing now. And I remember in the past, you used to forever to write anything creative now no problem at all it's it, I, i've become so much more creative i can think more clearly i can solve problems much better I and mean, the difference are tremendous in, in the way that i think and actually happier and my well i was always a happy person but even in better mood though and it's very times that i can get down because i'm always feeling good and though another by the way and one of the big benefits i forgot to mention the immune system gotten sick once in the past uh, 10 years once and it wasn't even that bad 
because one of the problems with eating nonstop throughout the day is that your immune system is compromised throughout the day. And think about it. What do animals do when they're sick? They stop eating, right? Like yeah. how do you, you know, when you get sick, don't you lose your appetite naturally? Yeah, because the liver cannot process the chemicals anymore. Yeah, but we lose our appetite on purpose because what happens is the immune system, system takes a lot of energy. Well, your digestive system takes a lot of energy. So something has to give. So what happens is the body shuts everything else down and puts all the energy towards the immune system to fight whatever you have. By not eating a lot of food during the day, my immune system is much stronger, which means whatever I come into contact with, it doesn't really matter. And by the way, I've been putting to the test, like even when my kids, you know, they get the, you know, the flus and the regular colds. I still drink from their cups. I still kiss them. Nothing happens. And it's, again, to me, that's another nowadays. Having a strong immune system, I think it's, it's a huge benefit to overall health. Oh, especially with COVID. Yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. And then you mentioned diabetes. I believe diabetes sometimes can be reversed through nutrition. Absolutely. Type 2 diabetes? Absolutely. Type, type 1 is different. That, 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 that's uh, genetics. But uh, type 2 can, can be reversed. Because, well, by the way, one of the other benefits of the 16 hours or longer is it makes your body more sensitive to insulin, which is reversing diabetes in, in a sense. And again, yeah. the, I mean, you, I, I could do a whole lecture just on the benefits of autophagy. It's such a um, very interesting topic, which again, I, I don't understand why mainstream nutritionists are not promoting it. This is, you know, uh, there are some people that are promoting, but there's very few registered dietitians actually that are licensed they're promoting this type of diet or even the government. And I, I don't understand why, because I think it's so, it's been proven beyond any doubt. It's one of the best things you can help. Well, we're not a, a proactive, you know, we, we treat the symptoms of an illness, but we don't uh, treat the root or the cause of it. Exactly. I, exactly. You're right. And I think is that to me, and then that's why I said in the beginning when we first started, that nobody has a weight problem. That's one thing people realize. What we have is a behavior problem, and we need to focus on the behaviors. And the best way to change behaviors is to focus on changing one behavior at a time. The problem is that by changing one behavior at a time, it takes a little longer to lose the weight. And people want fast results, but fast results, you got to make big changes in your life all at once. If you make the big changes all at once, you burn out. So it's like a catch 22. So what do you do? I'd say change this indicator. When I work with my clients, because the five habits that I teach them, and plus all the little tweaks that I make in their lives, uh, we work on one habit at a time. And that one habit, I break it down into the smallest piece possible to make it very easy for them to, uh, to work on. I'll give you one quick example. Flossing. Matter of fact, that was a breakthrough that uh, I had in my life that helped me actually become better, help people change habits. So my dentist, my client, so I would go for my regular cleanup. He would tell me enough flossing enough, like I did not know. He would tell me all the reasons why I should be flossing, like, again, like I did not know. And I would get inspired. I would floss for a couple of weeks and then fall off the wagon. And that happened actually for years. And then one day I was thinking, I said, I was getting mad at myself. I'm like, I'm trying to get people to develop the exercise habit. I can't even get myself to freaking floss. 
I said, I feel like a hypocrite. So that's when I, that was like 15 years ago. That was the beginning. I really started focusing on psychology. And I said, okay, I got to figure out how to develop habit. And then I came across this uh, system, which is called the Kaizen method. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No. Kaizen, it's an ancient Asian philosophical system on how to apply change. One of the uh, famous, uh, one of the most famous examples, it's Toyota. Toyota used Kaizen to become, from 1949, they were going bankrupt, to today become one of the most uh, successful car companies in the world, using Kaizen. And the whole philosophy on that is small, tiny, little steps. So I took that and applied Kaizen on my flossing. So I start flossing one tooth every night. That's it. One tooth, up, down, done. Of course, my dentist was like, you're not flossing, you're wasting. George, you're missing the point. I'm not trying to floss. I'm trying to develop the habit of picking up the string every night. Once I developed the habit, and what happened, it took me like a couple of months, I found myself flossing every single tooth. I've been flossing ever since. And then I'm like, wow, that really works. So I started applying the same philosophy with exercising. I give you an example. We all know walking is good for you. It's very easy to do, right? Yes. And you got to walk at least 20, 30 minutes. But most people don't walk enough. So this is the advice I'm giving. And I'll give you also is that start walking four, five times a week, one minute. That's it. Now, of course, most people tell them, they're like, what the heck would one minute do? Of course, not going to do much. But what it will do is get you out there or get you on the treadmill. And because the time is so short, you can't talk yourself out of it. Because let's say, you know, I was your coach and I told you, Steve, by next week when I see you, I want you to do three aerobic, three walks of one minute each. Can you honestly come back to me next week and tell me I did not find one minute to do it? No? No, I'd have no excuse whatsoever. Exactly. But what happens is how many times would you do one minute and stop after one minute? Right? Most of the time, I may walk a little bit more. And then, and because the, because in your mind, because remember, you get you're tired in your mind, you're thinking, hey, it's only one minute, you go do it. On the other hand, if I told you, Steve, you got to do at least 20 minutes minimum to get any benefits from there. What happens? You get home, you're tired, let's say. The kids are cranky. The wife is cranky. And you skip it. And then you skip the next day. And the next day, well, one minute, you're like, you know something? Hold up. I'm just going to walk around the house one, uh, one time and I'll be back in. And that's how you develop the habit because the, uh, the first goal exercise program is not resulted. That's one big mistake that I see the industry is making. The first goal should be to develop the habit of exercising. And you that by making the exercise so easy and simple to do, it's for, easy for you to keep repeating. And that's how you develop habits. And before you know it, exercise is part of your life. Then you can add more stuff and make it more intense and make it more towards whatever your, goals, uh, whatever your goal is. And that was actually how I got into exercising now. I regularly never miss a workout is because in my, this is my mindset. Uh, my whole workout consists of, uh, depends on the day, like uh, seven to eight exercises. But only three are the must-do. Everything else, it's optional. And by the way, those three, the must-dos of only one set. And I do those three exercises of one set each, I call it a workout. Now, most of the time I do everything anyway. But in the beginning when my motivation was low, I never skipped because I'm like, ah, five minutes let me just do it but what happens is once you start getting into it you're like ah let me do another set ah let me do another exercise now it's a habit now i have to think about it but still to today my my uh, the minimum is those three exercises 
And that's my advice of how to develop the exercise habit. Yeah, I'm kind of like that with push-ups. I'll start with five push-ups, and before you know it, you're doing 50. Exactly. Exactly. Small incremental changes to the uh, discomfort low, but what would happen eventually is it becomes a habit, and you have to think about it. And it becomes, you know, uh, an, an automatic event. You know, like my I do the Wim Hof breathing every morning. I started with only one session. Now I do three and four and four. But it's, again, it's part of my morning routine. The idea is to create routines, you know, and, uh, and this way they become automatic and this way you don't have to think. And if you have to think about your routine or your diet because everything is automatic, well, guess what? You can focus on enjoying life much better then. You, are, you know what an elevator cable is, right? Uh, yes, elevator cable. Yeah, that, that carries the elevator yeah, up yeah, and down. Yeah, those yeah, 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 I figured that well, those ca- those cables are made of thin little steel strands, and that's what a habit is. You know, you take strand by strand, and eventually becomes a thick cable. Yep, exactly right. And how strong does it become? Uh, like steel, as strong as hell. Yeah, yeah, able. Exactly. Yeah. Although individually, they couldn't do anything, but together, and that's but actually that was a perfect analogy. Actually, I like your analogy. Because that's how I feel about all these habits, like individual. But if you only change one habit, yeah, it's not going to make any difference. But adding one new habit, one new habit, one new habit, before you know it, you have enough habits that are affecting your health and weight in a positive way. But because the things that affected your weight are habitual now, it's like your weight loss program is on autopilot. But to me, that's the best fitness program, by the way. The one that you don't have to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, do you have clients all around the world, Stavros? Yeah, right now I have, uh, well, most of my clients have clients online, mostly from the United States. But uh, right now I'm kind of expanding on any English-speaking country. So they can work with me online, anywhere. I mean, I also right now I'm working on creating an online course where people can actually uh, purchase the course and uh, learn the five habits with, uh, you know, they can always email me for questions and stuff like that. But it's slowly good. Right now, I mean, my goal right now is to really get the system out because it's so simple. I mean, I wish that people realize how simple it is to actually get in shape if you approach it the right way. And the other good thing is like it, the system is puts weight loss on autopilot. So eventually you have to think about it at all. My goal is... To, for my clients not to need me anymore. That is the the, uh, the 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 goal that I try to achieve. That's a great. Uh, but do you have do you have one on one sessions with them? Yeah, I do one on one, online or, or in person. Uh, I do that also. Uh, again, the the way that my coaching program works is the idea is to get you to develop these five habits and then send you on your own. I, I don't believe on making people dependent on. Me. Because then I haven't created anything. If, if the person always needs me to do the right thing, what happens when I retire? Are they going to all gain the way back? No. And the, the idea is to, a, a, a coach's job is to help people develop certain behaviors and then be able to stand on their own two feet. To me, that's true success. But unfortunately, again, a lot of the programs create dependency. And if you're dependent on, on the system or a coach, as, as good as they are, what happens? if uh, I don't know funds run out or 
your life changed or you can, could no longer go to, the, to, to that trainer. You gain yeah. the way back. And that's to me is, uh, is important that we teach people habits that they can take on their own and eventually they should need us to, to stick with them. Yeah, you're, you're an, I'm trying to, not enabling, uh, facilitating them. I'm trying to think of the right word. Uh, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so it's the liveyourwaythinsystem.com. That's where no, they can it's, find it's, you? No, it's liveyourwaythin.com. Yeah, liveyourwaythin.com. I want to keep it a little shorter. And they can and go on. Your, your, go ahead. So, and and then the, the system is called the Live Your Way Thin system. But the website is liveyourwaythin.com. And you, do you have different like like packaging plans? Yeah, no, do I have all, all the information, all all the um, uh, uh, my systems, all prices included are on the website. So if they go on the website, they basically have two choices. If they live close to me, choose to come to my facility. If they don't live close to me, they can click online services and I list everything I offer with prices and everything they need to do. So right now, I do have a free report available they can get on online. Um, it's the uh, for craving, how to deal, three tips on how to deal with cravings. I included the one I talked to you about. It's in, in that report. Oh, okay. And well, they can you get it. If your listeners want, they can get it when they go on my website, liveyourwaythin.com slash special report. Well, you're providing an invaluable service. Uh, a lot of folks need this. This really help. You're doing a, a, a wonderful thing for the world, Stavros. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, nice to hear, actually, because sometimes, you know, you do wonder sometimes. Am I doing the right thing, you know? <laughs> no, you got to put your heart into it. It's okay to, 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 to profit as long as you do something that you love and you're trying to affect people. That's all. Yeah, no, that's I, I, like I said, I got into this industry almost like by accident, out of frustration. And I love what I do. And as I said, that to me, my whole push now is teach. Because one, you know what's one thing a lot of my clients are saying? That I wish that I, I, I met you earlier because I didn't realize how simple and easy it is to get in shape and maintain your shape. But a lot of people, I think we have this idea that getting in shape has to be hard. Counting calories, you know, push hard, no pain, no gain. And I think that's keeping a lot of people away. Well, I, I, I speaking personally, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I have OCD, which is a disease of extremes. And I yeah. think a lot of people, uh, they're extremes, one extreme or the other. There's nothing in the middle. Yeah, I know. And that's something that uh, people need to work on to be able to come to the middle. Because extreme is bad. Like, well, there's one extreme or the other. Unless you're an athlete, that's different. If you're an athlete, then the extreme is good. Because that means you're going to become the best athlete. But yeah. for health... Uh, I always have the attitude that something's always better than nothing. And that's how I approach things. And also what worked when you were younger might not work. I know the diets I used to do when I was younger, they don't work anymore. No, you're right. As we get older, things don't work. Like, you know, I know a lot of my clients, oh, when I used to be uh, in my 20s, uh, if I gain some weight, I just get on the treadmill, do a little exercising, and boom, all my weight went away. Now, yeah. not anymore. No, you have to adopt to it. Adopt to your changing body. Uh, no, exactly. And that's to me, those, those five habits automatically does that where they adapt to your, you know, to your metabolic rate as we age down by, by paying attention to our body because our body speaks to us. The problem is nobody's listening. And that to me, it's all about start listening. You're fine. You're much better off. 
Yeah, we can go whole into whole, whole different areas of the body, the yeah, feet, the, the organ, the skin. You're right. And, uh, we don't look at these things. Yeah, no. And again, to me, it's all about paying attention. And you'll see that you can be so much better off. Because unfortunately, like, you know, counting, like calories, for instance. The question I always ask people, can you see yourself counting calories for the rest of your life? Right? I no can. way. No way. <laughs> exactly. It's a miserable life. Yeah. That's and ridiculous. That's, that's obsessive. It is. And you don't even get to enjoy your meal, actually, because half of your mind, you're thinking about the calories. How much enjoyment do you get out of your food when you're feeling, you know, you constantly have to calculate things? Like dinner time comes like, oh, my God, get my calculator. It's like a math problem. <laughs> exactly. You know, and then it takes the whole pleasure out of it. And then you go to the other extreme and you have the guilt. Yep. Exactly. And, and you never and you're miserable. And to me, it ends with you. If I didn't, uh, I always tell people, I'd rather, because right now the, the methods of approaching weight loss is like you can be fit and miserable because you have to count everything or uh, unhealthy, overweight, and happy. I'd rather be happy and enjoy life, although even if you should, than being fit and be miserable because I have no life because my whole life is about fitness. And then to me, life is not about, life is about living it. Now, it's nice to have a nice body, to, and the more energy to enjoy life. And that's why I was out to discover, which I did find a way, because again, I thank God the fact I was raised in Greece. I, I, if I wasn't raised in Greece, I don't think I would have been able to find the solution because I wouldn't have had a good example to follow. You know, because the everything I was learning in school was the examples that all popular diets out there are teaching, which long-term don't work. Yeah, you were raised in that Mediterranean diet. Yeah, which that we know it's interesting about that because I've done a lot of reading on the Mediterranean diet. And what I find interesting is that all of them, all the research that I read, they keep missing the part of how we ate, the fact that we ate only on average twice and we did not have breakfast. For some reason, they keep skipping the part. I don't know why. They talk about everything, but they forget that how we ate. And that's the, I think, an important lesson is how you eat affects your health and weight as much, if not of what you eat. I mean, I don't know if I have time, I'll give you one quick example. Sumo wrestlers. Are you familiar with sumo wrestlers? Uh, Japanese guys? Yes, they're really, really overweight. <laughs> do, do you know they have extremely low incidence of heart attacks and strokes? Really? Compared to regular obese people. And these people actually, basically, they're extremely healthy. And yet, they have all this excess body fat. So a few years back, uh, a researcher got interested. So it's like, you know, how these people are so overweight and yet are so healthy and it's not exercising. A lot of people say, oh, you know, all the exercise they're doing. Yeah, it does play a role. But when they did an MRI uh, on the sumo wrestlers, they found out all their fat is stored underneath the skin, not around the organs. Where if you do it in a typical overweight person, the fat is around the organs. And that's what caused a lot of the health issues. So the next question is, well, how do sumo wrestlers get to store the fat that way well here's a secret they don't eat for 20 hours they eat all their food in a four-hour window they overeat on purpose by the way weight but what they discovered is when you overeat in one big sitting the body stores fat differently than if you took the exact same food and you spread it throughout the day so even if you're overeating you're better off doing the 16 17 18 hours without food and overeat the rest of the time <clears throat> Excuse me. No problem. Then, 
than overeating in throughout the day. So to me, that was a, that was a big aha. Though. Yeah, it makes sense. Certainly make and uh, what you you were mentioning cancer before. Uh, a lot of the problems with cancer is people have uh, they, don't, they don't they don't eat enough fiber and and the the fecal matter gets caught up in their stomach and their colon. Yes, and I know again that that's when we get into what they're eating, and that's another whole conversation. Oh, by the way, yeah. that was one of the habits at the end when we're working on uh, the junk food. Then we start replacing and increasing the vegetables. And again, it's the same way. Like if you like if you don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. The best way is start with one. Forget five. I know they say four and five a day. I agree. I fully agree, actually. But what you can do tomorrow morning, well, not tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon or dinner, start by, if you eat any vegetables normally, say, okay, from now on, every lunch and every dinner, I must have one. That's it. And do that for a month before you decide to make it two. And what you do is you can experiment what vegetables you like, what you don't like, and then see if you can add a fruit or vegetable regularly to your diet then maybe add a second one and the third one and that's how you can add more fiber to your to your day but do it gradually enough and forget results focus on the behavior you're trying to develop strand by strand yeah exactly and i think i loved your cable uh, example <laughs> there was a uh, very uh, very visual too i i read i read one of those self-improvement books i like those books like you do too you know yeah. Yeah. Back in the day before computers in the library, I used to read them all the time in the, those books. Yeah, I know. Back in those days. Now I got mostly on my Kindle. Yeah, uh, well, I, I got, that... I'm a few years older. You know, I'm 55, so I'm same same age bracket as you, you know. Yeah. and uh, But to me, it's like those books honestly really changed my life. And I said that. So the Dale Carnegie books, Tony Robbins, I got to give them credit. Um, and all of those, in the, it's funny thing, in the beginning, I didn't think they were making any difference, but they, they were without even realizing. And then, and now I will go back and reread a book too. And a lot of times, you know, you learn new stuff that you missed the first time around. But to me, life, and the one, my advice would be to people, is one small continuous improvements. And this, but think of small things, little tiny things you can improve on your life. And before, and whether it's career, health whether it's you know uh you know relationships small little tiny steps but most people when they decide they want to change something they want to take those big steps so we can change fast uh baby steps if you ever saw what about bob yes yes love that love that movie <laughs> baby steps. yeah oh bob that's right baby steps baby steps yep and that's what it's all about little baby steps and before you know it life will be better Right. Well, listen, man, I want to thank you for all the time you gave to the show. And I'm going to post this on social media so people, the word gets out about you. No, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. The link, because I like to uh, uh, put it all, all over my social media, too. I certainly will, very shortly. No problem. Great. And it was a pleasure. And uh, definitely keep in touch. I certainly will. You too, Stavros. Thank, thank you. you. Bye -bye. Sure.